Uh, yes, just a disclaimer about the coming reading. It, uh, it is very graphic. It involves uh, uh, sexual um, impropriety. <laughs> Thank you. And um, violence. So our apologies, but it's in God's word. And as Keith has just, just pointed out to us, um, we have to listen to it. Thank you. The reading is from Judges uh, chapter 19. In those days, Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there for four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her father's house, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, prevailed upon him to stay. So he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, they got up early and, be, and he prepared to leave. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, refresh yourself with something to eat, then you can go. So the two of them sat down to eat and drink together. Afterwards, the girl's father said, please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. And when the man got up to go, his father-in-law persuaded him, so he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth day, when he rose to go, the girl's father said, refresh yourself, wait till afternoon. So the two of them ate together. Then when the man with his concubine and his servant got up to leave, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said, now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here. The day's nearly over. Stay and enjoy yourself. Early tomorrow morning, you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went towards Jebus, that is Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. When they were near Jebus and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, come, let's stop at this city of the Jebusites and spend the night. His master replied, no, we won't go into an alien city whose people are not Israelites. We will go on to Gibeah. He added, come, let's try to reach Gibeah or Ramah and spend the night in one of those places. So they went on and the sun set as they neared Gibeah in Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square, but no one took them into his home for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gibeah, the men of the place were Benjamites, came in from his work in the fields. When he looked and saw the traveller in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going? Where did you come from? He answered, we are on our way from Bethlehem in Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. I've been to Bethlehem in Judah and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me into his house. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants. Me, your maidservant and the young man with us. We don't need anything. 
You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But to this man, don't do such a disgraceful thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her throughout the night and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of, of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we move to your word, we pray that you would help us in this difficult passage. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, achieve in us what you have set out to do. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. And keep me from error, we ask. Amen. Now, uh, Phil had to read that very difficult passage and you had to listen to that very difficult passage. And maybe you've read that very difficult passage and you did what you did with it. How do we, one of the reasons why we are doing this passage is because it's in the book. It's in God's word. It's in the book of Judges. It has, it's part of that story, which we said, went down and was spiralling away. I, you probably notice, or I'll just highlight now, so as you go through, maybe you can notice that the cycle stopped. There is no more cycle of oppression and crying out and delivering and whatever. What we get is this. The enemy is not engaged, the people who are in charge. What is engaged? It's all actually now internal inside what's happening in Israel. It's framed, this outrage at Gibeah is framed from the verse of chapter 1 of chapter 19 and chapter 20, verse 25 of chapter 21. That's the framing. The first words are, 
In those days, in those days, Israel had no king. And 21.25 says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. What you are reading and what we are looking at is moral chaos. That is where we've gone. Remember where I suggested the cone? We're actually at the bottom. This story is at the bottom. It's a long story and we can't finish it today. But we're at the bottom and no longer are we going anywhere else but in, we're admired in the mess of this moral chaos that was is within the, the people uh, of God itself. Those co comment about uh, this moral chaos, we meet the main figure who is the chief concern of this whole story, the Levite. Do you know what a Levite is? A Levite is basically a minister in God's temple, in God's church. He is a religious representative of their faith and he is the central concern, even though there's horrible things happening. Look at him and you start to realise where we're going. A Levite's concubine has left him and returned to her, fam her family. And uh, right away you go, concubine? Why has a Levite got a concubine? It's possible to have a concubine without having a wife. It's possible. It's possible to have concubine while you've got another wife. How many wives? How many concubines? All these questions about this guy immediately are raised. Who on earth is this religious guy? Well, he follows, he goes to her home because she runs away. She's been unfaithful to him and she runs away to her father's house. Her father-in-law welcomes him in and throws hospitality at him time and time again. It's a bit overdone. It's like being trying to just washed in hospitality. Have you ever been in someone's place and you, you just feel like you're being bombarded? That's what's happening to this guy. And it's hard for him to get away, but he manages to get away. It's like being released from the vice grip, the steel grip of this hospitality, which is an irony in this story. Our Levite finally pries himself away from the family, but he does so late, verse 8 and 9. It's in the afternoon, and so as he travels, he's going to need to stop somewhere overnight. His servant suggests they go to the Jebusites over there, and in verse 12 he says, we will not go to those who aren't of our people. It's a fateful decision. The irony will emerge later. They arrive at Gibeah, which is a place in Israel, in verse 15 in the town square. Travellers needing hospitality would wait somewhere in the town and they would hopefully be offered shelter for the night. That was a common custom and hospitality offered. No one in this place in Gibeah offers them anything. That's one of the ironies. You leave the hospitality, which is overdone. Now you get to somewhere, your people, and there is no hospitality. 
Unlike the father-in-law, all this is coming upon them. But a temporary resident of the city takes them in. It's a man not from Gibeah, but from, we're told, Ephraim, which is in the north. He takes them in, takes them in and he seems to be a model host. But suddenly, as, the, as we said, the hard part of the story, the terrible elements, the worst elements of the town, surround the house. And then pounding on the door, they demand that they bring the visitor, that the man brings the visitor, gives it to him so they can have sex with him. Having passed up the hospitality of foreigners, getting no real hospitality, when he gets to this Israelite town, he finds himself in a virtual Sodom. That's the terrible reality of this whole story. But the host is faced with the dilemma and he replies in the verse 23, 24. See if this reply actually does anything for you. The owner of the house went outside, said, there are no friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I'll bring them out to you and you can use them and do whatever you wish with them. But to this man, don't do such a disgraceful thing. The model host turns out to be the one who comes up with the incredibly shocking uh, idea of throwing the concubine outside. That he should volunteer the concubine as well as his own daughter is shocking, surprising and quite revealing about who he is. We can't think of the mind that would come up with this plan. At any rate, we do not see a protest from the Levite. Remember, he is the focus here. And so the Levite himself takes his concubine and throws her outside. The Hebrew is very, uh, spares us the disgraceful details when it says they knew her, they abused her, they discarded her. Uh, these men's are dogs, savages, filth. I've run out of words to describe them. They are not the ones in focus, though. This takes place outside and out of our imagination. Instead, the focus is actually on the Levite, the minister in God's temple. As dawn breaks, we read five shocking, chilling words in verse 27. When the master, that's the Levite, when the master got up. Now think about that. When the master got up, thrusting a woman he loves, in inverted commas, outside, now seeing no personal danger to himself, he went to bed, slept. Are you feeling <laughs> some sort of horror? You are, aren't you? No apparent remorse for what he has done. 
nor any concern for her, it seems. In fact, until he has to go, that's when he suddenly remembers her. Verse 28, and those words are callous at best. Get up, let's go. Uh, fewer callous, more callous words have ever been recorded. There is no answer. He picks her up, he puts her on his donkey and takes her home. This is the outrage of Gibeah, really. It's not bad enough that this dreadful act has occurred, but the real dreadful act has been occurred by a Levite. God's representative among his people, that he has such repugnant morals. And that's a very nice way to describe what they are, to be honest. Remember back to the beginning, remember the concubine left him and now we start to think we know why. But why did he come in the first place? Question. The second episode begins in verse 29, a preparation for war. A council is formed to address this outrage. This horrible thing has happened. The council now receives a similar treatment to what we've seen. The writer in the first movement has given Israel's hospitality and morals more than a satirical serve. But the convener of the council is the shocking thing. It is our Levite. Now, in the story, forgive me, but in the, as we look at the narrative, the other characters do not know what this man is like, but we do. We've read. They don't know. We know a lot more about him than anyone in this tale. In verse 29, the Levite systematically of chapter 19, the Levite cuts up his concubine in 12 bits and he sends them the bits to the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem normal. He then summons them all to come. And to our surprise, chapter 20, verse 1 is read. They all come, the whole nation, galvanise into action. The quote is, as one man. The nation has never done anything united like that together that easily. The Levites' call has achieved far greater unity than any of the judges who have come before him. As he speaks, the Levite, he chooses his words very carefully. As you know, stories depend on how they are told, and he tells them in a way that makes him look better, much better. He tells them it's the men of Gibeah who have done this. In the story, it was the wicked men of Gibeah. 
But as he tells it, it's now Gibeah, which means everyone, including the leaders and nobility of the town, are now involved. He leaves in detail in verse 5. He says, they raped my concubine and she died. He leaves out the detail how she got outside in the first place. Who threw her out? He did. His choice of words put the stress on the threat that was on himself. It makes it sound like he escaped and they caught his concubine and they killed her. We know that's not what happened. We know that he has changed the story ever so subtly and he comes out looking rosy. We're left with so many questions because the writer's account of the woman's death, is vague. Let me suggest this. When did she die? Was it on the doorstep? It didn't say. Did she die once this caring Levite, instead of getting her help, put her on a donkey in that condition and rode, her home, rode home? Did she die on the way? or else, and it's a possibility, did she not die until he actually cut her up? The story is vague, vague on purpose. There is no great answer. Either way, the Levite is a person who is repugnant to us. He is a despicable human being. I even feel horrible talking about it. You don't love listening to it. But this man of God is less than impressive, to say the least. And yet he is the one who impresses the assembly of Israel, a man so evil in his deeds that we would hope God would smite him from the face of the earth right now, as we read. We are left with this sorry tale. If it's this man who can raise Israel to action, what on earth will come of this people? We haven't finished the story. I can't finish the story. It's a long story. That's for another next week or another time. What are we to learn from such a horrible thing? One of the reasons why we've do, done this bit and some of the bits in Judges is these are, this is God's word. How do we read it? Some people use this sort of passage as a reason not to believe or not to like the Bible. They want to, sometimes they say we need to take these bits out. Well, God hasn't done that. Our world is full of much evil. And human history is full of much evil. And sometimes that history is very close. And as the writer writes this, it's in his own people, in his own, right at the head and heart of who Israel is. God wants us to learn from these things. When we speak about the, such horrible things like the Holocaust, it hasn't done our world any good not to speak about it. We must know 
We must know these atrocities so that they we must learn and not do. The writer at least wants us to do that, to understand this is how far we could fall, this is how far the people at the top could be so far away from God. Be careful. Be careful of these people. Know their lives and choose wisely. It shows us when God's people have turned away from him. Remember, we had a cycle. The cycle has stopped here. The spiral has gone down, and by the time we're in this story, we're going nowhere. We're already in moral chaos and malaise. Everyone in this story is a problem, it seems, but the, at the centre of it is this Levite. He has fallen into a very evil trap and he is, his motives, the way he has acted are reprehensible to say the least. It's, a, it's certainly something to remember. We must stay close to God and his word. We must have God at the centre of our lives and not something else. We skewed logic of the perpetrator of this and all the things that happen in this story are great examples of how far when you go away from God, the sort of decisions and motives and the actions that are done. The Levite is the principal character, and he shows us that even religious institutions can be affected. As you know, many churches throughout the Western world have gone and are going off the rails by what they teach, by what they ordain, by what they say can be done. The denial of the gospel, of God's word, the embrace of this, social justice over anything else or uh, the mystical, etc., etc. all these things take God's people away. It's a warning to us that when we go away, what sort of decisions can be made? Stick to God's word, do so in a way that is humble and continue to bow before him and read and know and seek the counsel of godly people. We need for our churches and especially the elders and me to have that sort of wisdom, which is lacking completely in this, in this passage. Pray for us. Put us on your prayer list. Pray for our church leaders and our church leaders in our society. We wonder at the moment, uh, it's easy to pick up churches from history, uh, you might know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he was part of the confessing church in Nazi Germany. What confessing church meant was ones who actually followed God's word. The reason for that description was because there were many leaders of churches in Nazi Germany that ticked off what the Nazi party was doing. They joined the Nazi party. Hear the horror that can be. Thirdly, as we reflect on our own society, we need to be careful that we don't look like society in one sense. We are different. God has different standards. God has 
us to follow him and there's and our Lord Jesus. We can't follow the society. We must follow God and his word. We should not be surprised where our society will go because that they have not made that covenant with their God. God has not made their covenant with our society. But we continue to pray for them. We continue to work and speak about and follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the antithesis of the Levite in this story. He is the reason the Levite is a, a real good sense of why Jesus came. He came to reconcile all things in himself through the shedding of his own blood on the cross, said Colossians 1.20. He is the head that holds all things together when this sort of moral chaos threatens to tear it all apart. He is the one who has came and defeated all this sort of evil that has always been in human history and in human hearts. He is the one who's released us by the power of his, of his death and the gift of his spirit and released us into what we can be. Philippians 4 says this, friends, whatever, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Christ has called us into life in him. We follow him, we love him, we serve him, and we know his word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, realise that uh, today's episode is shocking. It's uh, hard to read. And yet, Father, uh, it is part of our world and it can be very close to even your church. So, Lord, we uh, pray that, Father, you would deliver us from this evil. But we thank you that in Jesus, it's not about us, it is about you and what you have done. You have knocked down the walls of this sort of moral chaos in our world and made open for us the gates of heaven because of the death and resurrection and the life of our Lord Jesus. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. We pray that as we think about this sort of a passage, we realise how much grace and mercy has been poured out upon us, his people, in Jesus our Lord. We praise you and thank you and ask that you would lead us in whatever is honourable, just, true, pure and lovely. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.